What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Dipped in Tone. This is our first episode of Dipped in Tone 2.0. So if you missed the announcement on the channel a few weeks ago, we have uh, officially partnered up with uh, our friends over at Premier Guitar to sort of rework the show, make it bigger, better, faster, stronger, more consistent, much more consistent. That's right. (laughs) That's the biggest thing. (laughs) Yeah, we heard you. We, We heard your complaints. Uh, and the good news is it only took partnering with a uh, major guitar media organization to make us post regularly. So, you know, <laughs> uh, but yeah. So anyways, some things that are going to be changing around here uh, for the better. We're going to be posting. Uh, is it what is twice biweekly? Is that twice a month? Is that what you call it? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So bi-weekly, two times a month, two times a month. Um, and we're starting with this episode. Well, actually, let me let me back up and say, so the plan is to bring more guests onto the show, and we have a guest lined up for this show, um, some some guy named Joe something, mm. yeah. Joe Bonamassa, something like that. And then uh, we're going to basically alter each week, so we're going to have guest episode, regular, regular old Rhett and Zach episode, guest episode, so on and so forth. That's the plan. Yeah, uh, for right now. So right we'll now. see. We'll see how many guests we can get. How many people are interested? Yeah, we like, may only on. have two or three people interested. In which case, we'll just go back to you know how it was before in the before times. So it's um, going to be great. It's going to be great. Uh, but yeah, we're really excited to be working with Premier, Premier Guitar on this. And um, before we jump into Zach and I catching up, we have our very first ad read. And uh, Yay. the sponsor of today's episode is Stumac. You've used Stumac before, right, Zach? I have. Uh, working in a guitar store, I think, you know, there is, I don't know if there is more of a gold standard for guitar repair equipment than Stumac. Um, basically, if you need to work on an instrument, they have every tool to do that and all the specialized tools to get the job done the right way the first time instead of, you know, fumbling through and trying to make things um, work with whatever you have laying around. Stumac probably makes a tool to fix whatever ails your instrument or whatever modification or you know repair you're trying to do yeah and as a non-luthier um i can say i appreciate stumac's youtube channel for all of the uh, dan early wine videos that i've binged over the years you know Uh, actually uh, a friend of the friend of the show chris alvarado from driftwood guitars uh chris and matt are going to be picking up uh some some video work over there with the stumac crew so um yeah yeah so basically it, Stumac has, they have may, way more than just guitar repair stuff too. They have pickups, they have all the electronic stuff for doing modifications. And then uh, they they also now have kits for making amps and pedals. So if you're looking to dip your toe in that world, you can nice. do that right from Stumac. So. Nice. I see what you did there. Good job. Mm-hmm. You see it? I actually used uh, years and years ago, Oh man, this is a deep cut. I didn't think about this until just now. Some of the first YouTube videos I ever made back in like 2013, I want to say, uh, I finished a telly. They're not up on my channel, so don't go looking for them. I took them down; they're terrible. But um, I did a, I made a sunburst telly from like a maple cap telly body that that I got on Craigslist in a trade, and mm-hmm. uh, I used the Stumac sunburst kit. And I, I actually have to say for someone, I'm not a, a finisher at all. I'm terrible with that kind of work, but it actually came out pretty nice. It's all nitro. It was a nice little three-tone sunburst. It was great. I think everyone would like to see that. Oh, but God, 
For Dips and Tone listeners, you can go to stumac.com slash Dips and Tone, get a nice little discount. All the details are there on the webpage. Uh, so if you're interested, go check it out. Yeah, and thanks to Stumac for sponsoring the uh, first episode of Dipped in Tone 2.0. That's what we're officially calling it now. Yeah. All right, so Zach, what's been going on? We've been we've been off the air for like six weeks. What's, uh, uh, what's new? Well, uh, so, so much. So much. So Mythos is um, moving. Uh, I have secured a new shop, and uh, we are venturing out on our own i i needed more space i need room to grow i need room for this and and doing more video stuff where i'm not like having to worry about bothering poor devin who has to suffer through all these gigantic amps being cranked all the time and stuff so um that's happening it, it when this goes out it's happening this week we'll be loading a truck and moving and setting up the new shop so it's uh it's absolutely terrifying uh it's very stressful I don't know how to go about changing all my LLC addresses and like everything I've had to do with the yeah. state to make this thing legitimate. Now I have to change it all again, but but it's good and then super excited. But that's I mean that's the biggest thing. As your uh, as your your partner on the podcast and your emotional support uh, fellow <laughs> podcaster, I can tell uh, I can tell you that you probably should be scared because the amount of stuff that you're going to have to pack up. I mean, I was at the shop this past weekend. And mm. uh, just just walking around, there's a lot of knobs, a lot of uh, pedal oh. cases, a lot of components. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of things. Like, I mean, tens of thousands of just bits and bobs and stuff. So, yeah, and it's all heavy. Like our our shelves are heavy, our workbenches are heavy, and they're all huge. They all have to go through a normal size door. But uh, Luckily, the new shop has a dock, and I'm going to get a big truck, and we'll just put stuff on pallets, roll it right on the truck, roll it back off, and um, should save our backs a little bit of, of pain. And, and we all know the real we'll reason see. that you're moving is just because the new shop has better internet. That's really it. Well, it's, it's going to have really good internet, and the, air, the uh, warehouse is air-conditioned, so that's pretty that's pretty sweet. Nice. Yeah, okay. That's pretty cool. So well, y'all go out and buy some Mythos pedals to uh, support Zach's <laughs> move because he's going to need yeah. it. Please and thank you. Yeah. But what about you? Um, you know, just just here making YouTube videos. Um, released you the shared your amp. Uh, yeah, we released the amp. So uh, the day we're filming this, we released the amp yesterday, and I believe mm -hmm. we sold all ten. I think oh, so. Last time I checked, yeah, I think I think we we just sold all ten. So, um, we talked about it on the show before Port City. We called it the Grandville, and it's based off of a. 1951 Gibson GA 50 T, um, uh, an amp that I played on the Roofman record last year in Hamburg. And, uh, yeah, I honestly could not be happier with how this amp came out. It is, uh, sitting right over my shoulder here. I should have brought it up actually last week and had you play it, but you it really, was, you should have brought a lot of things that Les Paul, yeah, you got Les, Les Paul. Paul. God, was that, I that mean, hasn't we, happened since the last time we taped either. No. Me, uh, and, and, and you gotta, we gotta get your plastic game up because. Oh come on! No, we don't. I know. I still have those barf smelling plastics in my, uh, my. Wait, I, we haven't talked yes. about this on the podcast yet, have we? No. Yeah. So this is the uh, 1999 R9 that I bought from Uncle Norm at uh, Norm's Rare Guitars with the help of one Tim Pierce, and mm -hmm. um, this is one of the best Les Pauls I've ever played, including like real bursts. This this thing is sure is uh is 
is the real deal. What needs to change plastic wise though? I feel like these look right. I, well, I'm just, you know, but it, and that, <laughs> it, it, that era of Gibson's custom shop, like the, the height of the pickup rings a little off the color of the plastic's all kind of funny to me. Anyway, uh, they, they didn't really get that right until about 2015, 2016. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, to me, it's like, I mean, when, when you see so many of them, you're cursed with, with knowledge, you know, you see how things are shaped and the, the, the huge things are supposed to be and, and all that stuff just becomes like, so for me anyway, it becomes like locked in my brain and I can't mm. unsee it. And mm -hmm. when I see a guitar that's supposed to be that, I'm like, well, I'll just, let's just change that stuff and make it look more like it. Cause it's yeah. all, you know, it's just unscrewed. It's fine. But, uh, but not, I'm excited to play it. Cause you know me, I'm a, I'm, I, I am convinced that I have the best Les Paul. I don't think but, you do anymore. Mm, no, I really, I well. genuinely don't. I think, I think this, this, uh, I'm going to fall in the steps of a commenter on my, one of my YouTube videos. Like, oh, dude, I got a, I got an Epiphone Les Paul. They'll smoke that thing. They'll smoke any, any <laughs> Les Paul out there, dude. Um, we'll see. Yeah. I think so, we have very different tastes in Les Pauls anyway. So, yeah. Uh, but anyways, yeah. Granville, it's out. Um, Unfortunately, there's no more available. We only did 10 in this first run. I think we're going to do a second run early next year, but stay stay posted for that. I couldn't be happier with the amp. It's amazing. That Les Paul through that amp, it's it absolutely kills. I love it. Totally love Sweet. it. So, all right. Speaking of uh, of rigs, we're dipping a rig today. Actually, we're doing something a little bit different. So yes. before we get into this rig, if you're new around these parts, uh, we, on every episode, dip a rig. Now, up until this episode, it's always been a patron, someone who watches the show and is part of our Patreon, which uh, link down below if you want to join yeah. the Patreon. And that's um, that's going to be updating soon as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it should already be updated by now, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah, so it's updated by it's now. It's going to be updated. Uh, new Discord server, all new things, all new things are happening. But this week, we decided as a way to kick off 2.0, we would dip a celebrity's rig that Premier Guitar just ran in a uh, in a rig rundown, I believe that video just went up recently, right? Yeah, yes, like in the past couple of days. And uh, cool, you wanna you wanna throw it up there, Zachary? Well, with the new power of editing, it'll just be here now. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got Chris Shiflett's rig from the Foo Fighters. Uh, Chris is awesome, incredibly nice guy, and he's got quite the collection of stuff and we're i don't know if we're gonna hit everything yeah. but we're gonna get some highlights here so i think we should start at the first guitar in in this rig rundown on premierguitar.com. Yeah. uh and chris we're dipping your rig so you have to come on the show this is um that's right this is the deal that you didn't know Mandatory. you signed up for but here we go all right so yeah this first this first guitar um on premierguitar.com, it's all that glitters is gold this is a 57 conversion right you want to explain well, what that is well, it's a stripped fifty-seven. I don't know. Uh, I guess. Oh you yeah. Well, I guess the... it wouldn't. Yeah, it's not really a burst, so it's just stripped. Yeah, See the nice so three-piece a... top there. Yeah, so it's a fifty-seven gold top that the gold paint has since been removed, and you can see the the multiple-piece top, two of which are extra flamey, and then down near the the control knobs, it's it's pretty plain. But man, what a cool looking guitar! Um, up until uh, May or so of 1958, uh, all of Gibson Les Pauls were gold, and um, a lot of them had three piece tops. Um, yeah, or if they had a two piece, they might not be center seam. But this one, uh, he got from 
that his big reverb store sale where he sold all his gear on reverb and um he parlayed that into into one or two magic guitars he said so this one is undoubtedly one of those magic guitars and uh what a cool looking les paul nice and then we've got meet the cleaver mm-hmm. which is his uh his signature guitar i, I think the, the the made in mexico one uh it was a double humbucker thing yeah i think so but this new one um is uh blue and it's got two p90s and block inlays uh some other oh, it's got frailin p90s and stuff but yeah super cool guitar this, one, this one's fender master built as well mm-hmm. uh so i bet it plays super well and then um let's see here the flying v is pretty sick oh man yeah love a flying v 2002 flying v i mean and then uh let's let's take a look at this pedal board down here okay There's a lot going on yeah so we've got oh man uh he's got micropog jhs muffaletta a pair of uh mxr flanger and uh, evh phase 90 yep uh holy grail a strymon deco a Klon ktr uh, a ce2 waza uh timeline ep booster sp compressor and uh two the xw lines. two oh two timelines excuse me uh and then the xw1 which is the exotic wah and um that's going into the layla uh dual amp switcher he's got all sorts of it all sorts of thing huge um switching system down here yeah, and yeah, yeah. A polytune to keep it all locked in. That's you know what's cool about that is the two different uh the two different timelines are labeled. So one's labeled Friedman, one's labeled AC thirty, and I'm imagining he's got different delay settings for each amp going into that. Mm. I haven't watched the rig rundown yet because I have, they haven't sent it to us, but um <laughs> so we're gonna be left speculating a little bit here. So we'll uh it. and then speaking of amps, what do we got? Oh, we got a bunch of Friedman and then Vox uh, AC30s looks like the hand wired variety, but he's got two Friedman. Uh, which one is this? Oh, Brown Eye. Yeah. So two of the the B100s uh, half stacks and then two AC30 hand wired half stacks. Okay, so, man. All right. Well, I should point out I have seen Foo Fighters before. Music mm-hmm. Midtown, 2011. I want to say it okay. was. Now, I imagine his rig has changed a little bit since I saw them, but it was one of the best sounding shows. Well, scratch that. It was actually one of the best shows I've ever seen. If you've never seen Foo Fighters Live, they put on a hell of a show. Um, So with that said, I love this Les Paul. I think it's super cool. I think uh, the the fact that it's stripped and you can see the three-piece top makes it super unique. Um, I imagine, you know, those are so... Late 57 had the cream pickup surrounds, right? It was early 57s that had the black. Only the very, very earliest ones had okay. black. And then the, the pickup covers were were like unplated. I think they might have been steel. Yeah. Um, they weren't even nickel silver. Um, but if that one had gold, I mean, well, I mean, obviously it had cream rings, so it's, you know, a little bit later. But I don't, yeah. I don't think there were many gold tops with black plastic that ever made it into um, – the world really there's, a, there's at least one at songbirds that we've seen yeah um god i bet that thing sounds good yeah there's pafs in there mm. so uh yeah the cleaver gonna, cleaver rules yeah. uh cool guitar Two P90s, telly 
with the the Les Paul control plate and you know switch. Love that. Flying V. What more can you ask? I want to move on to this pedal board though. So sure. interesting things here. I have some suggestions, Chris. If you will, uh, if you'll hear me out, I think the selection of stuff on here is really good. I love the deco. I think that's still one of the most underrated pedals out there. I think a lot of people are sleeping on the deco because mm-hmm. I think I think Strymon hasn't done a great job of um, explaining what that pedal actually is and what you can do with it, which is quite a bit. Yeah, I'd be interested to see how he's using it here. Um, he's got both sides engaged, so it looks like a little bit of uh, tape saturation and some either fl- probably flanging if you look at where that top right knob is yeah my biggest complaint with the deco is knowing how to set the damn thing i have to keep the like the little instruction manual nearby because <laughs> i don't re- like i don't know i don't remember <laughs> i mean just like you turn it until it sounds good that's that's I how you know, do it. but I, I just want to go fast <laughs> okay yeah um ep boost great classic uh ktr great shouldn't have sold mine but i did Mm-mm. um the two timelines i really like but here I have I have some suggestions now for someone okay. like Chris Shiflet who's got you know a tech and crew and roadies that are moving all of this stuff around for him this is not that big of a deal but as a guy who still lugs all his own shit around um, we could really like streamline this board quite a bit make it smaller uh, a little bit more efficient with the wiring I, I would like to see that that switcher that loop switcher changed out for something a little bit more modern like an rjm for example um mm-hmm. maybe something with some midi capabilities so you could tie in those timelines together um because i imagine you know he's probably engaging and disengaging multiple effects at the same time and even with this loop switcher he's probably having to do quite a bit of tap dancing around the bottom of the board and if you got something a little more modern in terms of a switcher, like a gig rig or an RJM right. with MIDI capability and presets, it would also allow you to switch uh, loops and the order in which pedals are uh, in, in what order they're, they're in. It would also be smaller. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would go to a tiered pedal board because a lot of the stuff, you know, imagine he's not changing the settings on like the MXR pedals or the muffle. He's probably not changing settings on really any of the stuff for a live show it's probably already dialed in so right it, it looks like the strymons are on some sort of bridge because they appear higher than the rest of the stuff yeah and it, you can see it's labeled up and down for banking so he is probably at least banking stuff around uh yeah. banking presets around the strymons but again dude if you got a midi switcher you could pre-program all that stuff and instead of having to hit three or four different switches you hit one switch and everything changes on your board. Right. Yeah. I, I, to me, the thing that I would, I mean, I, as much as I enjoy MXR pedals and, and I love the CE2, um, maybe consolidate that into like one multi-effect unit that you could switch. I mean, if you had a gig rig or whatever, it could probably handle all that too. Mm-hmm. Um, then you wouldn't have to worry about hitting as much, I, even though I, I'm sure he's probably not using multiple modulations on a single uh, song. But yeah. But yeah, yeah, so I like the the GFI synesthesia for that. I think that's a good a good. And if you got your if you got your switcher, your MIDI switcher, that's MIDI capable too. Uh, stereo in and out, so you could make it play nicely with the two amps. Right. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, what would you rate this this Rockstar rig? <sighs> All right. I love the guitar selection. Um, I would like to see something in the guitars that's a little bit more traditional 
additional single coil because with those amps, with that AC30 and with that BE, uh, something like a like a straight ahead telly would be really nice. I'd like to sure. see that. The cleaver is cool. You can't go wrong with two P90s. Um, P- two P90s in telly body. It's classic. Love it. Hardtail strap bridge. That's super cool. I would like to see the inclusion of probably a telly, like a good old fashioned just blackguard kind of thing. Sure. Pedal board. Great selection of stuff. I like it. I think it could be modernized. This looks like a pedal board that was built in 2006 or seven and hasn't really been changed since. Um, even the, even the cables, the patch cables, like gotta get yeah, a little profile fine. on Just lay it anywhere. Just the spaghetti it down. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's they're all shielded. They're all shielded. Um, Amps, I like the amps. I would be interested to see what this Vox sounds like. Uh, the modern hand-wired stuff, the Fawn stuff, mm-hmm. traditionally to me has been a little harsh in the top end. I don't always love it, but depending on what speakers he's got, and maybe these amps are modded, you know, to take care of that. Not really sure, but um, so I'm going to give this 8.6 Shoils. Nice. Yeah, I... Uh... I kind of feel you on the maybe adding a single coil guitar, but for me, all I'd be playing would be that 57 Les Paul, so other guitars be damned. <laughs> um, my favorite thing about all these pictures, though, is how he's got the picks on the the vent of yeah. the, those boxes, because yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. like that is just a recipe for uh, either re- really hot picks, which, I don't know, maybe he's into that, you know, a little, add a little keeps flex. Keeps warm, you know. Or they just fall in there and you'll never get them out. Oh, no, they're not going <laughs> to fall in there. They're, they're too wide to fit through those. Uh, I thought you were going to say a recipe for overheating the amp, but that's well, not. Well, no. No. Those for an picks old could Vox, totally fit in there. No, dude, no. Look at that pink, the the pink one that says shifty. It's wider than the, it's, look at that. Mm, it's wider maybe. than that slot. There's no they're way. They're going to get gonna... so hot, they'll just slide right down there. like <laughs> just going to melt. <laughs> like a piece of American cheese. Oh, Jesus um, but the board, I, I kind of agree. Uh, I feel like maybe adding something with a little more modern flexibility would help. Uh, it would probably help his 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 just mind out. But just yeah. having like one switch that does everything, yeah. um, and I would consolidate some of that modulation because you know why not? You know, just tidy yeah, it up and be lighter. Could, we just modernize that board just in general. I think. Yeah, I think it. The, it's not overdoing anything. It's just just big. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think I'm right there with you. I think for the Les Paul alone, I want to give it a a nine. Oh yeah, the Les Paul's nine moving shorts. some points for sure. Yeah, it's it's moving something in me. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so here's the deal, Chris. Let help us help you come on the show. Let's talk about it. Let's work through your 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 pedal board woes. Uh, and we'll go from there. So yeah, man, we got a pretty important guest coming up, and uh, we've taken our sweet time on this intro. So yes. Let's go over to Joe's house and talk about Wait, some... wait, wait. Oh, Before wait. we go, we do need to say that visit stumac.com oh, slash yeah. dipped in tone. Check out all the stuff. You can get 10% off, uh, I believe, any regularly priced Stumac item. Mm-hmm. Double check on the website for all the details. Um, but another thing that we didn't mention before is all those tools that if you get, you know, fret files or uh, anything, really... Uh, they're all backed with a lifetime uh, promise. If it ever breaks, uh, fails to perform, or if you just don't like it, they'll replace it free of charge forever. So if you're wanting to get into setting up your guitars, if you're wanting to just do the things that we talk about, uh, I mean, something that I enjoy doing, it's like my 
uh, uh, meditation time at night, putting on a TV show, restringing and setting up my guitars to make them play how I want them to play. Why not get the best tools? Just go check the out the thing that I like about Stumac is they always they have like these they've created these tools that are so specific for luthery and, and guitar work like yes just go watch their youtube channel watch all those dan early wine videos because it's like here's a, a perfect here's a really specific strange job that i only have to do once a year and here's this stumac tool that's designed specifically to do this in one step so well i mean like if you're a, a luthier or work in a repair shop you you want that to maximize efficiency. My favorite example of this is the knob puller. Yes, it's just like exactly. a little claw yeah. that slides down over a knob, and you just yoink it right up, yep. and it's it's off. You don't have to worry about it flying across the room. Yep. Uh, or or like it's really easy to break a knob if oh, you yeah. don't know what you're doing. Oh yeah, um, for sure. But yeah. Okay, so before we jump into the uh, the interview with Joe, I think you've got something to debut and announce, right? I I do, since it is Halloween. Oh my god. Uh, we, what? <laughs> no, I got nothing. No, that was not like a. I'm not making a dig. That was like a. I'm trying to like build suspense here. Mm-hmm. No, okay. I'm serious. That was that was not meant as a dig, dude. I promise. <laughs> anyway, uh, historically on Halloween, I have released the Positron Collider, which is my homage to my favorite ghost catching movie from 1984. But for this year, we're making a standard model, and we're calling it the Positron. Yeah. So. The Positron is uh, the basic fuzz circuit from the Positron Collider, just streamlined. It's not as uh, garish <laughs> as the original, and uh, it has the same uh, volume gain treble bass, which you have a Positron Collider. I do. It's yeah, awesome. It's, it's, a, it's a cool circuit, but one thing we added for this is this little switch that says loud, and when you flip it What does down, that do? What it does is it takes the ram's head style circuit and shifts it to a color sound super tone bender circuit, which is a uh. variant of, you know, that that pie circuit. But it's, oh my gosh, it's so cool. It's, it's so loud. It is so unbelievably loud, this thing, that I don't know. I, I think people might find this just to be a joke where it says loud, but we mean it. It's, yeah. it's really loud. But yeah, Positron. Uh, cascading amplifier distortion. Wasn't so. the uh, the color sound? Uh, wasn't that what um, Gilmore used on the Time Solo? I read that it was a color. Sound, or it might have been a power power boost. Power boost. He might use. probably used probably with, used a power boost. So the the Supa Tone Bender was uh, a Big Mouth Pie variant, right? Uh, and it just has a weird uh, clipping arrangement, but it and. We tried it in this, and it was just—I don't know—it just sounds really good. So. Nice, nice, lovely. That's Congratulations, it. happy release Thank day. You. Um, you missed a opportunity to say ghoulish instead of garish, oh. but we'll let that slide. <laughs> All right. So, last week we went over to uh, to Nerdville East, Nerdville, Nashville, if you will, and we sat down with uh, our friend Joe Bonamassa, and um, we talked about sort of the state of the vintage guitar market. You know, this all this whole yeah. conversation stemmed from a video that I made a few weeks ago uh, on my YouTube channel with uh, Rick Beato, Dave Honorado, and Keith Williams from Five Watt World about you know will vintage guitars be worth anything when boomers are gone? And Joe had some thoughts about that video that he shared with me and with Rick after seeing it, and so uh, we get into that 
pretty pretty deep on this uh, on this episode, but um, yeah, it's, it's very exciting. We talk about fan fret instruments. We talk about a lot of things that, like, I, I wanted to talk to Joe about things he doesn't normally talk about. Yeah, um, which I yeah. think is a good thing when when you're interviewing people that people have been. I mean, he's been interviewed so many times. Why not talk about something different? Yeah, for sure. So, without further ado, here's our first guest interview on Dipped in Tongue. Joe, thanks for having us. Thank you for uh, coming to uh, Nerdville East, Rhett. It's a, it's, a, it's a pleasure. I can actually say that the pleasure is all mine walking around. This, this place is doing a lot for my, my ADD. There's so much stuff to look at. <laughs> Everything's interesting. Legitimately, everything is interesting. I mean... I think I'm most impressed so far with the signs that you have. We were talking about that on the way in. Yeah. I mean, yeah, guitars are cool. Amps are cool. But these vintage signs, I mean, everyone's got to have a story, right? Everyone has a story. Um, here's the thing about memorabilia. You have, to, you have to remember what it was for. They would, in some cases, like Fender or Gibson would sell stores a sign it would be in the catalogs they'd be in the catalogs be like here's a sign um and or or you know a clock that said gibson or you know a sign that said fender it's like right over your shoulder there's a 1964 fender dealer sign that says fender electric instruments and they would hang it in the store to entice customers just remember there's fender guitars so those signs they only needed one for their store but they would sell hundreds of guitars over the years. Mm. So the signs are a lot rarer than the actual guitars themselves because each store only needed one sign. Yeah. They only needed one Gibson clock. And if it burned out, they would buy one more. So they made a lot less memorabilia um, than actual instruments. So when you decide to do a house of guitars like this, um, you... The, the memorabilia part of it is is really important and it it ties everything together it's not just a bunch of gear just set up you know it does right. actually feel like a museum in here yeah it's it very, does that's like organized and thought out organized sure. hoarding yeah <laughs> and it's actually better put together and more interesting than most guitar stores i've ever been in either which is great. Well, most yeah. of this stuff came out of guitar stores that were pretty ramshackle. Um, it's important to realize that I don't, I don't, I'm not your competitor. I don't who's bidding on this guitar and amp on reverb. That's not me. Um, nothing wrong with reverb. I think they've changed the game and they're really nice guys and they've come up with a beautiful business model. Um, I'm not your guy competing on eBay. I don't sit online going, hey, this looks cool, this looks cool, because I, I don't need a guitar that bad, and I don't need anything. I don't need anything. Um, I like finding stuff in the wild because not only am I purchasing an item that will look cool in the house, a.k.a. memorabilia or a sign, or in the case of a guitar or amp, I can actually play, um, but I'm also purchasing a story. And I can pretty much within 5% tell you where everything came from and a backstory of how I got it. So if you want to randomly select an item. Uh, all right. Okay. <laughs> I'll take you up on that. This behind me, is that a bandstand? What is the that? Rhythm Airs? Yeah. Virginia Beach, Virginia. 
I was going, there's a great antique mall, huge, probably 150,000 square feet. All, you know, it's an antique mall. It's basically a series of dealers. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's a, yeah. a consortium of sort. And, you know, everybody has a, everybody has a theme, you know, you could just tell how their eyes go and what they gravitate to it. Yard sales, garage sales, estate sales. And it's everything from Franklin Mint, you know, uh, reissue, uh, you know, uh, Silver Ghost, you know, Rolls Royces to, you know, a butter churn, you know, Farm Road. Everybody likes to sign in their house at <laughs> Farm Road. And um, if you go in to the and, and that Virginia Beach Antique Center, you make a left and the second aisle on the right, there's a guy who has a really good eye for signage. And I bought at least, I bought the arrow that's in the back here, that's on the deck. I bought the Rhythm Air sign and I purchased something else that I, it's eluding me. Um, the Fisher sign that's right over there. That's cool. that was in the year 2017 summer, probably around August. How was that? <laughs> All right, perfect, nice. So before we before we move on, we should plug. So you're in town for rehearsals for an upcoming tour, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. We're, we're we're rehearsing. We rehearse here in Nashville um, because it's logistically um, it's so much easier than rehearsing somewhere else. I mean, all our gear is here. The production company that we rent our trucks and PA and everything is here. The bus company is here. It's 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 Music City. I mean, it's yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's like you know, and it's all within fifteen minutes. So it, it really it really makes it easier. And we start. Uh, I don't know when this is going to air, but uh, we start November first in Springfield, Missouri. Then we go to Springfield, Illinois. So we're hitting two Springfields. <laughs> we work our way um, up through like Green Bay, Minneapolis. Um, Minneapolis was the, was the final we set up in Minneapolis on March 11th, 2020. We were set up, we're ready to go. And then the mayor shut us down literally at 6.30 at night. And then what was it? And then we'll make our way down through like, uh, you know, like we'll make our way through the, the, the Midwest into Arizona, Reno, and we end up in Spokane, Washington. And it'll take about, I don't know, 30 days to do it. Yeah, so this is going up on Halloween yeah. on the thirty first. Okay, even so better. I will. Uh, we'll, we'll both have yeah. links to your tour dates, tickets, Thank you. all that stuff I appreciate down it. below. Thank you. And um, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we, so what do you want to talk about? We, we've already <laughs> talked about how how OCD and yeah, yeah, yeah. What a photographic memory I have. Okay, so Zach and I were kicking <laughs> this around a few weeks ago. I made a video with some. Oh, you want you want to start with this? Oh yeah, let's just <laughs> jump right into it. Okay. Okay. So on my YouTube channel, we made this video. Uh, are vintage guitars going to be worth anything when boomers are gone? Mm -hmm. You watched the video. It, it made its rounds. It yeah. got around. Yeah. Now, we talked offline about it a little bit. Well, here's the thing. Okay. The video was sent to me by a friend of mine who's also a collector. And he was like, what are these guys talking about? And here's the thing. And I sent you a text and I sent Rick a text. And because I consider you a friend and I consider Rick a friend. But when I see things getting off the rails, I look out for people that, that I'm friends with. Be like, hey, this is a little, this may blow back on you. Uh -huh. And that was the intent of me. This wasn't me saying, hey, what the fuck are you talking about? 
But in a polite way, I was saying, what the fuck are you guys talking about? <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't taken in any kind of ill, no, Ill will. No, because everybody has an opinion on this. You guys were speculating. Right. You guys were speculating. But it would be like my going on, a, uh, doing a video of me speculating on, on railroad futures, you know, in 2025, when I have absolutely no experience in the railroad business. The thing about vintage guitars, any collectible, it's, it's solely based on two things. One, it's relevancy. If you watch Antiques Roadshow, I don't know if... Oh, yeah. If you watch Antiques Roadshow, since the pandemic, what they've been doing is they've been, they've been kind of updating old episodes. So they'll go back to 2007, 2008, and somebody, you know, back at the height of this antiques market, so somebody's plate or, I don't know, it, it, some clock from the 1800s or some, you know, it was worth... Ten to fifteen thousand dollars, and they'll they'll show the price whether it's gone up or down. A lot of times, you're seeing those items going down because the relevancy of that item it just doesn't have any functional, right? You know, use anymore other than a decorative piece and a historical significance. With guitars, you they're still functional. They're still relevant, even in pop music. And my experience being so intimately involved in vintage guitars and, and collectibles is in the last 48 months, about 2018, started to see a lot of new people being interested in vintage guitars. Two factors go into that. One, um, they're, what they're buying is a little different than what we bought back in the 90s. What they're buying is their youth. They're buying, they have discretionary income. They've, they've bought their house. They they've, 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 have a career. They, they're stable. And they go, you know what I've always wanted? I wanted an Eddie Van Halen Charvel my whole life. And next thing you know, Eddie Van Halen, you know, Sandima Charvels, are ten ten thousand dollars because there's a demand. Right. Next thing you know, they go, well, you know, I really want to get a fifty-seven strat because Red Skull says fifty-seven strats were the shit. Okay. <laughs> Next thing you know, he forks out forty thousand dollars for a fifty-seven strat. Now you have them. That's a gateway drug. Oh, I should really get a Les Paul Jr. You know what? If I take all this stuff, I can get a gold top with PAFs. But yeah, still if I take the gold top and then I mortgage my house that my wife doesn't know about, I can buy one of these sunburst less paws. That's how it is. And a lot of that stuff is happening. People age 35 to 50. And that's, that's where, so the point about the boomers is yes, there are a lot of, lot of people in their mid sixties approaching 70, thinking about their mortality, thinking about an exit strategy, thinking about where this stuff will go. But if you ask a dealer right now, be like, man, I can't keep good shit on the, on the, on the floor because nobody, it, for some reason, it's exploded worldwide. And it's like, if you get a clean strat, you get a clean black, black artellies are insane now, yeah. insane. And I, it'll, they'll probably still be insane on Halloween, but, but 
I'm even going, whoa, whoa, it's crazy. Yeah. You get a clean Blackguard Fender Telecaster, it just seems to just disappear. Les Paul Juniors, which these be thousands of them around, can't find them. So my point is, is it's not just a bunch of doctors, lawyers, and dentists sitting there drinking, you know, brandy, smoking cigars, and hoarding this shit. And when they die off, there'll be 50 million guitars that are worth zero. That, my, in my prediction, and I could be wrong, and you could have, you could be like, see, Joe, you're full of shit. <laughs> um, my prediction is that there will always be a market tied to the economic fortunes and, and, and interests and musical tastes of people between the ages of 30 and 40. Mm-hmm. And once people establish their careers, once people establish their lifestyles, that's when they get interested in this shit. Do you think that, <clears throat> that the golden era stuff will always have, I mean, it's, it, of course it's always going to be the mm-hmm. most sought after, yeah. but do you think it's going to have the same appeal and, and not necessarily when the boomers are gone, but look when, when, you know, the next generation, the kids who are teenagers now, who, when they get to the point of having income, is that going to be a guitar that they leave me interested in and in the way that it kind of is now, because I, I talked to John at Carter vintage mm-hmm. um, and he says that electrics far and away are the most popular vintage thing. The acoustic world has kind of slowed down the, the, um, the mandolins and stuff, which I, I work there for a time. I saw, you know, people buying lures, not hand over fist, but pretty frequently. And that has slowed way down, but just because of the popularity of, of maybe that music a little bit waning worldwide, but electric guitars are still moving, but will that era you think have the same appeal to, to maybe the next generation? It may or may not. And if you ask somebody, I'm like, I, like I have a bunch of friends and I run tours of these museums. There's, there's three of them now. Um, and a lot of people in their twenties, they come up, they'll come up to my house and, and they're guitar players, great guitar players. And they've never seen a tweed fender amp, or maybe they've seen a tweed fender amp at guitar center or wherever. They've never seen a hundred of them at the same time. Right. You know, they've never held a sunburst Les Paul. And they always say pretty much the same thing. Man, one of these days I'm going to get X. Man, one of these days I'm going to get Y. And I remember when I was 22 and living in New York City and literally had a $20 a day budget for ramen noodles, peanut butter, peanut butter and jelly, and wheat bread. I, I just like, and Daiko. And the wheat bread I like because it saves some calories and carbs. But that was it. Okay, and I never thought I'd see one of these Sunburst Les Pauls, let alone own one. But I said to myself, I said, one of these days I'm gonna, one of these days I'm gonna get this, and one of these days I'm gonna get that. And my father was in the guitar business, but could never afford to keep anything. Even if it was cool, it's gotta go. You can make 500 bucks, that's two weeks groceries and and expenses for the family. Mm And when I, my fortune started to change and I started to do reasonably well in the music business, I was able to afford it and was able to buy and hold stuff and didn't have to sell it, you know. And the appeal of it is going to be indelibly linked to people's passion for a guitar, which 
we just went through a, 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 a renaissance phase. We right? still are. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. like the, the appeal of guitar is, I, I mean, you know this because you're, you're indelibly linked to it, mm -hmm. is the appeal of guitar is like in the last 18 to 24 months has just gone through the roof. So that gives me hope that one of these days, like, you know, all of this will maintain its value. Yeah, and the outliers, the stock market goes down, the, this goes down. It's the same thing with the price of commodities or, or gold or whatever, you right. know. But the thing is about a gold brick, if you say, hey, I'll give you a gold brick for that tweed super, I'm like, no. <laughs> I can't fucking play the tweeds. I can't play the gold brick. Who cares right. about gold? Yeah. You know, gold is just, a, you know, that's where people run and put their assets and they buy it from William Devane on you know, it's like, you know, and it's like, it's like, well, what are you going to do with it? You know, if the, the, the apocalypse comes, you're not going to trade your gold brick for a bottle of water. You know I mean? It's so if you're going to get stuck with anything, it'd be great if it works and great, <laughs> you can make music on it. So if it's worth a dollar, fine. I'm still happy. Sure. Because it's still worth a dollar. So I agree with you. Mm -hmm. And my point in the video the original video that we made was more or less in line with what you just said. Yeah. I think that because of the fact that these are instruments, these are tools for creation, because they have had such an impact, such a cultural impact across the world for the better part of 60 plus 70 years, almost at this point, there's always going to be a market that will support specifically the gold, the, the gold era, mm -hmm. like, high-end stuff yeah like the les pauls early strats blackguards things like that um and that's not even getting into the acoustic worlds like yeah. pre-war martins you know pre-war war era gibsons that kind of stuff which is a, a different thing but um i think there is something interesting that your point brought to mind about demand so i was talking to um, on my podcast a couple years ago i had tosin abasi on <clears throat> and the topic of influence came up and it was interesting how guitar players today and i see this a lot in my comments section younger guitar players they tend to kind of go one of two ways you get into guitar you start listening to music you start developing your own musical taste and you either go forward and more progressive and what's happening what's on the bleeding edge of what can you do with this six seven eight string instrument yeah. or you do what I did and you did yeah. and you did, which is go back and yeah. look at, okay, where did this come from? Where, you know, most of the music I listened to wasn't even made in this century, right. you know? So I think that's a, that's an interesting shift that is, that is happening now. And with young players, I see it in my comment section, whenever I talk about vintage guitars or even custom shop recreations of vintage guitars, I get one of two very, very, uh, strong responses from people keeping in mind that comments are the very vocal minority of people that are watching a video or you know a podcast but it's either that's amazing one day i would love to own that or i can't believe that no guitar is worth more than fifteen hundred dollars and sure. you know so so that's the loud minority so what's your question i'm sorry well no i was just i was just following up with um i agree with you that the demand for the the high-end vintage stuff will be there um but it i guess still remains to be seen what the people that started playing guitar in 2020 and mm -hmm. you sure. know 
10 years from now when they are the next generation of pro players and their sessions and, and they're out touring and playing stuff, are they still actually going to be looking for the vintage stuff? And that was Rick's point in the video was no, mm-hmm. but I well, don't that's and, and Rick is a super smart guy and, 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 and sees it from a, a perspective that I can't see it from because he's indelibly linked to more of an online presence and where he sees comment sections so to your point the comment sections i i live in more of the the 3d world where i just see it's i, I just i just know what this stuff trades for and i know that the demo i've watched the demographic switch because a lot of the a lot of the people that are in there you know i hate call i hate that word boomers is is, is a lot of people in their 60s early 70s they're not buying maybe a little bit, but they did all their, they had all their fun when they were in their Mm forties. And now you're starting to see the same thing happen again, where people like, you know, people in their mid forties and the, and the, you know, late thirties, mid forties. That's when you're going, man, they get, they go down these rabbit holes. Well, look at this. This is a gigantic rabbit hole. I mean, like there's, there's, you know, I always, I was a pair and a spare guy for 10 years. It's like, it, what do I need? One, I need three, a pair and a spare. <laughs> it, it, but I, I've really curtailed those addictions. I was addicted to it. So nobody's going to take it. I highly suggest nobody take it to this level, you know, but because it's a lot to unwind and the place feels heavy. It is heavy. It's worth a lot of money at the current market value. But um, the, 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 the thing is, is what I've learned over the years and, and, through mistakes and and my own ignorance, but I've come to the I've just I've come full circle on it. It's like you cannot dismiss anything ad hoc. There's there's intrinsic value to any topic, subject, tranche of a subject that you you can you you can think of. That I sent Tosin a video of myself in Syracuse, New York. Josh Smith took it. I was playing with one of his fan fret eight strings. Could not play a fucking chord <laughs> on it. And Josh is filming it. I said, like, we got to send it to Toast. I mean, I could not. I, it was just, it was so foreign feeling to me because I was like, oh, I got to, I could, literally couldn't. I mean, the music store was laughing. I, they probably posted it on their Facebook. I'm like, what an <laughs> idiot, you know? But I'm like, you know, the old me would be like, well, this, this doesn't make any sense. But then you watch him play it. And you're yeah. like, well, it makes a lot of sense because he's re-envisioned, he's built his playing style around that instrument. Right. I built my playing style around that instrument. And and so so I can't just go like, that doesn't make any sense to me. It's not That's not the way we used to do it. No, it's the way it's done now. Same thing with like, there's no guitar that's worth $1,500. I'm like, okay, says you. Yeah. Says right. you. <clears throat> And how many of these have you actually handled? Right. And those are the ones that, those are the ones that get themselves into trouble when they said, blah, 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 blah. This, you know, um, the, you know, tweet fender amps are are nothing but something. I'm like, well, how many have you plugged into? Well, I, I, you know, I heard my friends one time. Okay. (laughs) Well then you don't know because you haven't had a minute to live with one and, and see what they do. And And they're also different. If you played one, you might have played a bad. Whether you have a Celestian in one, one's healthier than the next, 
you know, the it, it there's no piece of gear that's made the same. You yeah. know, so it's like you can't dismiss ad hoc on. There's no amp that's worth more than this. There's no guitar worth more than that. It's it it's it's like saying why is the surf and turf at Red Lobster so expensive? <laughs> it's only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. Well, I think the Tosin thing is an interesting interesting point. I actually think that he has and players like him have created an instrument around their playing style. Whereas when I pick up a Les Paul, there is an inherent sound that I'm going for because it is a Les Paul. And I think the more modern players nowadays, guys like Tosin aren't necessarily, they don't think that way. Um, And that was my point earlier. You know, you either go forward or go backward. Well, Um, there's there's also, there's players that are completely, they base their style completely on improvisation. Mm -hmm. Like I'm one of them. It's like, I don't work things out in advance. I just react and just go, Hey, we're good, you know, or not. Um, and then there's people that really work stuff out. So that's, it's two different schools of thought, you know, it's just the kind of music you play, the kind of music that, the that Tosin and a lot of these kind of like cutting edge players play. I mean, it's extremely technical and it's Mm -hmm. extremely you know, composed and worked out. I mean, like, it's like, it would take me six weeks to, to get through one verse of Tosin's song. I'd be like, ah. It's very athletic. Well, yeah. it's, it's, it's also, it's also challenging the, the, the norms of what can be done on a guitar. It's like Ted Green playing jazz on a telly. Mm-hmm. You can't play jazz on a telly. <laughs> right. He did. Gatton played jazz on a telly. But you know what I mean? It's like it's like it takes somebody like that to say, "Hey, listen, um, you know, I hear you, but I'm going to try something new with this thing because you know it's like why add to the noise if it's just going to sound like everybody else?" Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, the, those guitars are very. Cause I, I had a Strandberg, which he made he made fun of me relentlessly for it because I I. I I have Les Pauls and and all this stuff. I, I love the vintage thing, but I wanted to try it just to challenge what what i thought i could do right on the instrument and it really it does take you a different place because where normally you're reacting to your guitar those guitars it's it's just about your hands and and mm-hmm. where where your head takes you because it they don't at least in my experience they don't give a whole lot back that not to say that they're bad instruments but they are they are strictly made to to execute what you give to it. And do they have the squiggly line frets? The, the, mine didn't have a, a, a the true temperament, but it was a fan fret. Okay, so, but so that's not really a bending machine. You no, know? no, I mean, you it's can hard t- to play Albert King on that. I, I, I kind of disagree. Really? I feel like I, I felt like for me, I could do everything. You could I'm, bend on a fan fret. Oh yeah, I, that was what I was having an issue was was I couldn't. I was like. It felt weird to bend because everything was at, at an well, angle. You were also playing an eight string, right? Yeah, seven yeah, string. Yeah, that, yeah. Would, that might have. Was set was it had more strings than I was used to. <clears throat> yeah, a wider fretboard on. I that. think there was a C on the bottom. <laughs> yeah, I was like whoa. <laughs> and to be fair, my only issue with the Strandberg is the no headstock. That's that's just a non-starter for I me. Know, I can't. But, I just can't get past. Well, it's it. gone now, Red. So oh, thank God. <laughs> I have to look at it anymore. Do you know the headstock design really is one of the make or break parts of a guitar that that denotes whether it's going to sell or not. If you I think completely about, if you, believe that. Yeah. If you think about the headstock of, of a specific instrument, if it's got a weird head looking headstock, you probably don't want it. Yeah. Yeah. It can oh. be beautifully made. Perfect. Just a, a beautiful instrument. But it's got a weird headstock. Oh yeah. It's make like, or break nobody for me. Want, it's, it, it's, it's really, and 
to think about all the great designers, graphic design, great, great designers. I mean, man, did Gibson, Epiphone, uh, Fender, Gretsch, you know, Rickenbacker, um, Martin. Boy, did they get it right the first time, mm -hmm. right? You know? Yeah. And, it, and it's very, I think the only person to really come close to the indelibly linked headstock to a guitar is, is, is Paul Reed Smith. You know, it's like you mm -hmm. look at Paul Reed Smith, like, that's, yep. that's, that's a headstock. Yeah. You know? yeah. And it's totally informed by the function of, of how he wanted the yeah, yeah. the tuners to line up and and everything too yeah and it, and it, it, it it's it's lined up and it and it, it it's something binary it, you just you just it makes you feel good yeah or conversely if it's kind of a, got a weird design it makes you feel kind of eh, yeah I've, I've never seen you play a paul reed smith guitar in all the years have, have you ever owned one or like i own one i actually own a paul reed smith you I own one I owned one Paul Reed Smith. It was a gift from my friend Zach Myers. He gave okay. me a, nice. he gave me a Zach Myers caster, and it's mm -hmm. really nice. Yeah. Oh, they're great guitars. They're great guitars. Yeah. yeah I, I feel I, like I've historically, it's not the interrupt. I've historically had an issue with Paul Reed Smiths because of the hybrid scaling. Right. Because I I'm so stick and rudder, and I grew up on it. It's it's a when I it, when there's a strat involved, I know I, I, I it, Everything kind of just readjusts when there's a telly, yeah, less pulse, you know, three three five. The 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 amalgamation of the Fender Gibson scale always threw me off a little bit because sure. I didn't know where really where to stick the elbow, right? You know, and 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 it just felt a little too short or too long. Mm -hmm. So on on the vintage guitar discussion, mm -hmm. do you think that because you've been in this for a long time? And mm -hmm. I would imagine you've watched this market explode over the last. Oh, I've watched it flatline. I've watched it explode. I've watched it implode. I've watched it come back. I've watched it go down and I've watched it explode again. So how do you feel about guitars as investments? Because this is another thing that, that I've seen people talk about sure. or people have talked to me about, you know, um, I bought a 65 SG junior earlier this year, beautiful guitar, total ringer. And a lot of large part of the response that I got was like, Oh, it's a great investment. You make so much money off that thing. And I don't think I necessarily agree with that, but okay. I have a riddle for you. What do you call someone who buys a vintage guitar, plays it for six months and sells it for $1 more than he paid for it? A guitar dealer. <laughs> Cannot look at it from that point of view. I think, are they good investments historically in my world? Absolutely. Because I've, I've done a buy and hold. I don't get rid of stuff. Yeah. So I liked it in 2010. I've had it here since 2010 and it's worth more now if I sold it than what I paid for it. That's great. I know people have gotten into vintage guitars we're talking about non-dealers dealers are that's what they do for a living right you, you, yeah, got, yeah. you got to make Doesn't the 37 percent yeah. margin that's sure. that's how let's let's put them on on another you know but I've, I've watched people come in hot and heavy buying bursts buying dumbbells buying this and then and then six weeks later going what's it worth now like <laughs> in trying to get 20 points over it's not the way i do it and i don't really feel the i don't i don't really feel that the those kind of buyers and flippers um like i don't i don't feel the love from from them for the stuff you know 
say what you will about me as a person, player, whatever. Nobody can deny that I love this shit. Right. That's pretty obvious. It's yeah. obvious. Yeah. So, and, and you could, listen, if you got the money to buy it, just, you can do whatever you want. But I also do think that it does taint the, the, the intent gets tainted. If it's just, if it's just, I have, I have a portfolio in oil. I have a portfolio in, in, in Bitcoin and I got a burst. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you really, you really equate that. You know, you, you, a Bitcoin is is beautifully made and crafted and designed as a Sunburst Les Paul from 1958. I, I, don't, I don't buy it. Right. But if you look at it just a, as a strict numbers game, then okay, then then yeah, maybe you made more money on the Bitcoin than you did on the guitar. Maybe you're gonna, you know, you know, it's it, it's uh, they're good investments, but you cannot you cannot just go. Well, it's the only reason I bought this vintage guitar is because, you know, they said it was going to go up 30, you know, like by 30 points in, in, in a year and a half. It may, you may make 100% on your money or you may lose money. Yeah. Right. But you still have to make that deal with yourself going, hey, listen, this thing makes me happy. Mm-hmm. I love my SG Junior. Yeah. It's worth $1,000 less than I paid for it and I'll never sell it because I don't want to take a haircut and B, um, it's still cool and I, I'm making music on it. That's the way I look at it. What do you think the next, I mean, again, this is just guessing, but I mean, we've seen, you mentioned Les Paul Juniors and and Melody Makers have just Mm -hmm. exploded in price. Like, you think student models is the only way for people, because so many people want to get into this world and then that's like the total deep end. I mean, that's jumping into the middle of the ocean. You know, where do you think people should start even looking? Because I mean, now vintage is only 25 years ago if we want to be. I, I feel bad. I, I really feel bad, and I know here comes the comments. I'm like, "Well, you buy everything." Blah 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 blah. blah. Let no. Let's just let's just address supply. In that question, you know how many guitars from all strata, student guitars, professional guitars. You know how many guitars were made between 1950 and 1965? Thousands, yeah. tens of thousands, especially, and then from 19 God, oh my God. 1964, the Beatles on Ed Sullivan was mm-hmm. it 64? I think mm-hmm. Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Then, then Fender added a second shift in '66 to keep up with the demand. Right. I have 500 of those of those guitars mm-hmm. of the tens and tens and tens of thousands that were made. So the fact that every well, he owns all the guitars. That's complete <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel bad for people that are really passionate about it and want to get into it and they save up some money and just just as they save up enough money to buy a, a Les Paul Jr. because they were $4,500, next thing you know, there's somebody gets $6,000 on reverb and then the baseline price goes up mm-hmm. and it's like, well, I just was, they were just, well, yeah. sorry. Yeah. You know, I feel because the, the intent of that person Finalist Paul Jr. or Fender Jaguar. Offsets are hot. Everybody wants a Jazzmaster Jaguar. Those things you just buy for 1800 bucks. Oh, yeah. And your friends, the, the, the cork-sniffing friends would be like, why are you buying that junk? Right. You know? No, that's cool. I love Jaguars. I love Jazzmasters. Great rhythm guitars. Great great pieces of art. Um, and But now, somebody sent me a picture of a Sunburst Jaguar from 
from Arlington last weekend was eighty five hundred dollars. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you know how many Sunburst Jaguars there are? Tens of thousands. Yeah. It's not exactly a rare guitar. So I feel bad for the generation who wants to get in but just can't swing it. I mean, it's hard enough to make a I mean, making a living in the music business is it it's worse or on par with starting a restaurant. It's right. you're, sure. it's a tough business to make money at. But if you want to get into this thing where you you, you want to have a guitar, a functioning instrument to play, you know, I think I think I think Ryan uh, Lerman does it great. He finds bits and pieces of parts and shit and he just jams them onto Duosonics and Mustangs. Right. That's and they're cool. I've seen a bunch yeah, of them. They sound great. They sound great. He's a great player. He play. He could play a, a, a wooden log with strings, and he's going to sound great. But he wants in on this vintage thing, and he just goes, "I just built this thing from parts. You can still get this cheap. You can still get that cheap." And and he builds a hybrid caster, and they're great. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what you're seeing a lot of people in their 20s and 30s doing. Going, I mean, I can't afford the straight one, but I'll just take the one that's all messed up. And and make it my own, which in a lot of ways I think is is almost more admirable because it shows that I think the love for the instrument is there. It's not just about the status symbol of owning the vintage piece of gear that has the right year and the right name and it's all straight and yeah. you know it's connecting um, with the instrument that that you want to play. Yeah, yeah, which I think is super cool. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's the reason that the that generation gets vintage way more than I do because I have, I'm operating two different, I have two different things going on here. I got a museum running. Okay. I got, you know, within 15 feet, there's a mint condition, 69, 68, actually Sonic blue telly. One of the rarest guitars you can ever go for things in immaculate condition. I've played three chords on it. So that, and, that's and so that's the museum side of the nerdville. Then there's the 50 guitars that I play. Okay, that leads me into my next question. One of the, the things that I learned early on when I first started playing and picking up and you know learning about vintage guitars is they're not all good. No. In fact, in my experience, most of them are actually not all that great. The reason I bought my SG Junior, I wasn't looking for one, mm -hmm. but I picked it up and it was a dead ringer. And it was a friend of mine selling it. So I was like, okay, well, I'm guessing I'm in the market for a vintage SG Junior. So of your collection of guitars, how many are playable, would you say, say, and how many are truly great? They're all playable. They're not all set up to play. Mm. There's a difference. They all play. Can you go from buying the guitar to stage? No. There's a certain thing. There's certain things you have to do. Yeah. Um, about 10% of my collection is in constant rotation for the live gigs. There's about 50 guitars. Um, every once in a while, like, and I'd say another 10% of that rotates out in the studio world, meaning that the acoustics come out, um, more the mint stuff i'll bring to the studio and just play this thing sounds great it's like but you know i don't want to sweat on it mm -hmm. you know for a tour so at the end of the day most of the old guitars 99 percent of the old guitars that i play on on the road are refretted you have to yeah you need new tires yeah right. 
Like this guitar is refretted. This came from South Africa. It had no frets on it. Yeah. So we're going to do hanging on the wall. It's all original. Yeah. But 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 you can't play chord on it. So went to Joe Glazer and he's got new frets and it's been on two tours. About to go on, on the road this fall. Um so there's that. Then there's stuff that is so preserved and so clean that that I'm holding that I found original owners and stuff like that, that my ego isn't big enough to be like, I'm not going to be the first person to put a scratch on it. I'm sure. a custodian. Mm -hmm. And you play some, you sit at home and play it and stuff. But, but if you really want to get into it and dig in, you're going to nick them. Yeah. Oh yeah. So totally. I, they've been this way for 70 years or 65 years. I don't want to be that person because I have, I'm lucky enough to have other stuff I could play, you know, and I'll, beat the hell out of that because if I'm going to play in a live sense or in the studio, I'm going to make it count. You know, I'm not just going to, well, this, you know, I, I always say you play the guitar. Don't let the guitar play you. It's sure. it's true. What do you think? Cause, Cause this is something we've talked about a lot. Like the current state of guitar, like the, the, from the high end manufacturers like Gibson custom shop, mm -hmm. Fender custom shop. You know, I think the mm -hmm. lines visually have been starting to blur for a long time and I feel like the guitars are finally r really getting closer. I mean, they're, 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 you know, they're not as close, but I, they're not perfect, Yeah. <laughs> but they are, they're really close to their vintage counterparts. Like, what do you think about, you know, that, like, do you think that they, how, how well do you think they're doing? I mean, I know you have a stake in some of this, but like, what is your thought on the current state of like the custom shop world and the recreations of these vintage guitars? I can, I can only t tell you from my personal experience. I've, I've, I, I work with, um, um, I, 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 I'm, I work with both Fender and sure. Gibson on, the, on certain projects. So when you go into a project, like we, we recreated the high powered Tweet twin. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Let's just build it. Stan Cody, Took took my original one of my original high powered fifty nine Tweed twins. We measured the box because we figured out the first prototype, which which he made not with Fender parts. He made it with a an aftermarket cabinet maker and and stuff that he had laying around. We figured out that the aftermarket cabinet maker didn't have the right measurements for the high powered twin. We were the the cabinets were bigger. Mm -hmm. Which is a big deal. Which him. is a big deal. Yeah. A lot of power in a small box. That's my jam. Yeah. Because the bigger the box, the more it's, you're just not getting the focus. Yeah. It's, that's, I think that's the word I'm looking for, the focus. Anyway, once Fender made the box, and then I was like, okay, this is, this is dude, this is, go back to 59, just do it the way. Can't do it. There are regulations. There are parts. There's, we have to have a tube cage. Because in 1959, the general population was smart enough not to take their bare hand, stick it behind an amplifier, and grab a molten glass bulb <laughs> yeah. that's glowing at 600 degrees. Well, that was a normal thing back then. In, in, in 2016 or 2017, we had to, we had to put certain precautions. It, it's, it's, the, it's the lady at McDonald's with the coffee that was too hot all about lawsuits and so you have to make some compromises on the gear you just if you're if you're a boutique maker you're you're, you're off the radar you can source every single part uh, online and 
transformers and this and that and you can make a spot on close enough copy of a whatever amp you're looking to recreate if you're doing it in a large scale it's impossible so i have when people rag on fender and gibson i am very sympathetic to the fact that they they're doing it they're aware of what the old stuff is gibson has a collection of it i've seen Fender has a collection of it. They are well aware of what they did. They have to really thread the needle and get it as close as they possibly can with environmental regulations and manufacturing regulations. And quite frankly, some of these parts and the companies who made these parts, the OEM uh, you know, operators like, like, or, or, or uh, their, their clients, they don't exist anymore. Right. So they're having to go, well, this was a military switch for a B-52 bomber. Well, you're going to have to go back and either go find 500,000 of them in a warehouse somewhere in Utah, or you have to recreate it as close as you possibly can, a.k.a. for the guitars to be cost prohibitive and, and get the price points down, you have to outsource to China. So your pots, your CTS pots that were made here and wherever they were made, are now coming from China. So the tolerances are not as good. So the summation of the guitar itself, that's either coming from the custom shop of Gibson and the, and the custom shop of Fender, may have some things that are not quite accurate to the original spec, not because they are not aware of it. It's because they are just <laughs> trying to do their best and make it as close as they possibly can. And they've gotten way better in the last decade. Both companies have gotten better. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, I just bought a custom shop, Les Paul R9. From, from Uncle Norm. Uncle Norm. Mr. Uh, Mr. Tim Pierce helped me pick it out. Uh, and it's it's unbelievable. Um, and I the thing I like about the custom shop stuff from Fender and from Gibson is, you know, it gets you, I think, in the ballpark of the real thing, of whatever it is that you're buying the custom shop version of for a price that is actually more, feasible for most players out there and yeah. for someone like me i'm going to take this thing on the road i'm going to i'm going to gig with it and you know if i owned one of those that's going to stay at home and it's going to be used why? on sessions <laughs> why well you know i think you're braver than i am. okay i am brave or maybe you have better insurance than i do i, I go through heritage but um, <laughs> here's the thing i've had these things in the baked potato i've had these things in jams I've had a we had a I went and sat in with uh, Mike Henderson one night um, at the, the Bluebird 58V. I I just look at it as a, if I, I took care of my reissues when I, when I was playing reissues and nothing ever happened, I just had a protocol, then nothing's going to happen. I'm not worried about these being stolen mm -hmm. at all. Not a single thing worried. Not, theft is not my, 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 um, my biggest worry. My biggest worry is fire. Yeah. And my biggest worry is if the truck catches on fire or my house catches on fire, it all goes boom, there's not coming we're not coming back. If somebody steals PJ, what are you gonna do with it? Yeah. It's gonna come back around eventually and be like, I'm like, hi, <laughs> you know, what's this? Eight fifty four eighty eight. It's just and it's it's got a fingerprint. It's got a yeah, you know it's what I mean. It's, yeah. it's so I'm not worried. That doesn't worry me. So you know, I have, I have the when I play a Les Paul, an old Les Paul 
you know, live or just sitting in whatever session. I have these old Series 1 protector cases. Um, we do a line of uh, the, the, the Calton cases, which are great. I mean, you could run them over with a damn car. You know, so you're not going to, you know, you're not going to lose. You're not going to worry about it getting broken. So you can bring your 67 SG on the road. It's not going to get not gonna get fucked up well for you unless it's, you're throwing it around i think right. it's also part of your brand though like it is it's you know part of going to see you know i saw you in atlanta in 2000 my dad and i it was a uh, Cobb gallery center it must have been 2010 right maybe and for me that was the first time i had seen or heard a burst right and you know so that's that's part of what's i i do really appreciate that you are out here and and not just you know, sort of the more traditional collector, someone who's buying these and hiding them away in a private collection. You're actually out there on the road using them and playing them, using them on sessions, getting them out there for people to hear them and see them. Yeah, which is which is super cool. Um, I was on the the cruise in 2017 mm-hmm. with Muddy Magnolias. Yeah, and you oh, had all this right. stuff yeah. on the boat. <laughs> it's like that was the time I, I Norm still talks about that. That's when it rained on us because it normally rains on us on, on our sets. I don't know why it just does. I'm like a black cloud that follows the boat. And I had Spot and my old yeah. basically Spot. I sold to buy this. What we're sitting, um, and uh, I had Spot and it started to rain. I'm like, what am I, I got to finish the damn song? <laughs> so we're like, things raining. It's raining on the '59. So. Yeah, but at that point, it also kind of becomes part of the providence of the guitar. Yeah, and. You know, here's the thing. It's like, you know, I, when I like when we play at any given theater, um, you know, now the, the, the rig is obnoxious. The amp rig is obnoxious. And, and I'll even admit it, it's fucking obnoxious. And if I was a troll, I'd troll myself because the amp rig is <laughs> fucking obnoxious. But it sounds great. Yeah, I don't okay? imagine. The amp shanty sounds great. And most, but you know, like I'll come out at like 7.30. We, go, we were hard eight band and i'll come down 7 30 kind of just talk to big d uh like my, my tech and we just watch and i just watch people you know like groups of three or four guys that come up and all they're doing is doing like this and they got their phones on wide and they're 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 kind of like and they're i go i go i go d they're they're they're, they're take, they just want they don't want a picture of me they want a picture of the dumbbells yeah yeah and they and there's three of them up there now hence obnoxious and 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 I started thinking, I was like, well, it's just an amp. And I said, a lot of people have never been that close to one. Right. And it's part of, and it's indelibly part of, linked to this thing where you just like, you go, is, I wonder what Joe's plan. It's, it's like, if you see a flying V, it's a real flying V. If it's right. a, you know, but you know, I nicked that from, uh, sorry, uh, I nicked that from Rick Nielsen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because Rick Nielsen played, real stuff yeah. and i was like man that's that's the coolest thing in the world like look at rick he's got these sunburstless paws he's got this explorer he's got this and that and you know there's been a bunch of people like you know historically robin ford has always played mm-hmm. old guitars on the road and dan toller the late great dan toller i was six years old and i saw my first sunburst Les paul in anger at, at a dickie betts and greg allman concert in rome new york and i'm like I, that's it yeah, it never, you know, it, it, it's just like, I, you know, want to see it, it's just it makes me excited when you go to Austin, Texas, and these guys have been around for 40, 50 years and they still got that 57 strap. I mean, like, yeah. you know, it, it, and it's like, that's what I want to see. I got the Dumble thing when I saw Robin in Atlanta. It was one of the last shows I saw before the pandemic, before the shutdown played City Winery. So relatively small room. 
sitting close enough to the stage where I can hear stage volume. He had his Dumble there. Like the one. The one. Yeah. And when I heard Robin play his Dumble and in that room, I got it. It's like, okay, now I understand. Because I've, I've played. Was he you know, cutting it with something else or he just had the single Dumble? Just single Dumble. Okay. Yeah. And it sounded unbelievable. Now, it's not the amp. It's him. not the guitar. It's yeah. him. Right. I've seen him with a super and a twin and it sounds like Robin Ford. Yeah, sure. He's, he's one of my favorite players and it just, but I get that. That's what made me get it too. Yeah. It's like, Oh, there it's the way I think about it is like, we're, we're in, we're in, a, we're talking about a game of like a few percentage points here. Like, okay. If, if you had to quantify the, the percentage difference between a really, truly great ringer R nine versus that, you know, Five percent, five percent. But guys like you, guys like Robin, live in that five percent. Well, it's yeah. You you if they're the daily drivers, sure. That's you start to understand the nuances of what you can extract from that five percent, ten percent. You know, there's some old. 59s are just like, man, it's like punching sand. I own yeah. one. I was like, man, it's like, eesh. I got to get rid of it. And, um, and the person who bought it, like they love it. They think it sounds great. You know, but for me, it was, that wasn't the one that connected. Um, and then there's some reissues that just bloom. It's like, it's like, it's, it's, it's killer. The, 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 the Dumble thing is, is it's rarefied air because there's so few of them. I got it right off the bat because I like articulation that's extremely quick. Like I, my ideal tone is saturation overdrive, but a recovery rate of of an acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. So it's just bang boom because I have no legato, zero. It's all pick. Once I figured that out, that's why I like I've histor- historically always like Fender amps, you know, because the the they're a cl- little cleaner. Um, until I discovered the Marshall Jubilee, I go, eh, this will work with EVs. Okay. And then you start pairing them together. But I still like the recovery, a real quick recovery, whether it's a Dumble or a twin. And the sag is what is my kryptonite. Mm. And once I heard I own my first Dumble, and I say, you know, I saved up a lot of money and we paid a lot of money for it. And I and I started using it with the rig and I go, that's what's been missing in this whole chain forever is that quick recovery. And it's like, it's like putting, it's almost like putting tax on a piano mm. and it's got these little pings on each note. Now, when you're having a good night, there's no better feeling than that. Cause that shit is articulate. And you're like, man, this is great. When you're having a bad night, you want to dump out of that amp <laughs> faster than anything. You can't that's hide why, behind that's, it. That's why I have, I have three settings. I have, I have, I have, Marshall Fender, Marshall two Dumbles on the overdrive, and then Marshall Dumble clean driven, like a Larry Carlton setting. And that's that's the most honest. So, but it also sounds the best. But I'll dump out of that quick if it <laughs> if, if, if it. the chops are not there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it's you're just gonna be like Oish. I uh, I got the Dumble thing working when I was working at Carter, one of yours at some point. The Hoyt? I, it was it was a combo. Yeah, the Hoyt accident. I still have that. Oh yeah, I, I played it. Yeah, and I was like, oh, oh, okay, ah, okay. <laughs> oh, there's a thing here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's like when you talk about dump, people that clone dumbles, mm-hmm. and there's, you know, 
it's been a minute, but but there used to be like there's people who come up. I I make the best dumbbell clone, better than the dumbbells. So I'm like I'm like okay, great. Like the flex. Uh, my first question is, you make a clone of what amp? Right. Yeah. They're all different. Yeah. You know, and most of my original dumbbells came with LTEC speakers, and and they now have selections mm -hmm. because I'll tell you this: the amp changes. If you put an EV in the amps, if you run a Celestion, if you run an Altec, Eminence, the amp itself changes character. So it's so indelibly linked to what he tuned it. Um, Robin uses, he used he was using Celestions. And I like what Celestions do with Dumbles. They give it a little bit of a, they, they just give it a little bit of a sag. Sure. You know, and it just a little bit dirtier. And fatter, in my opinion. The EVs are cool, but they're exactly what that head is churning out. There's no coloration. Yeah. And Altex just give it a spike in the high end that wasn't for me. Yeah. So you just have to, like, the Hoyt came with an Altec. Mm -hmm. But Hoyt was also an acoustic player. Okay. The Hoyt Axton amp has a Dumble Direct box in the back in which he would play acoustic guitar. Huh. So I never really understood why Hoyt would need an overdrive special to play a, an ovation balladeer, but I didn't care because that, that was, it's one of the coolest amps I own. Yeah. Yeah. The, I've played a handful of them and there are definitely some that you, that you, you know, immediately I can't, I can't play this. It doesn't, yeah. doesn't work. Well, because of probably whoever that amp was originally voiced for yeah. and you are completely different players mm -hmm. looking for different things out of an amplifier. Yeah. So. It, generally, you find like especially the the early like my favorite is the early '80s uh, Dumbles. It's predominantly where most of mine Hoyt's at '84, the one I just got, the blonde one. It looks like Robin's, and it's it's right in between Larry's and Robin's. I'm like, don't listen with your eyes because it looks <laughs> like it. It's a good one. Um, I got an, another '84 black with a Vox grill. I like the early '80s. Generally, that that to me is what the it's, it's like the LA session guys. Like the, the, the meat and potatoes of, of the Dumble era where he was he was building for Carlton and sure. Robin and, you, you know, Dean Parks or whoever, whoever was having. And if you look at a lot of those players of that of that era, they had lighter touches. Mm -hmm. And so when you when you just back off the attack on the right hand or if you're Carlos Alomar, your right hand, left hand, um, he had a, he had multiple tumbles. Um, they they start to sound like that those tones that you associate with the Dumble, mm -hmm. you know, because he was going okay. I, I you know Alexander would be like this is how you play, so he would adjust the recovery rate. And there's trim pots inside. I wouldn't dare fuck with him because yeah. like, like oh my god, the amps never gonna be the same. But there's trim pots inside, and it's like how fa you know it's like there's gain and and all these weird things that are going on. And the guy was a genius. Oh yeah. Whether you like the sound of that or not, the guy was a genius, and and not only a genius amp designer and builder, but as a from a design point of view, like he came up with that look that yeah. everybody goes, "Wow, that's cool." Uh, yeah, the aesthetic is you unmistakable. Know? It's perfect. You know, if you know, if he was if he was building the same sounding amps using Stromberg Carlson, you know, industrial amps, I don't think we'd be sitting here having this discussion. But no. he came up with this aesthetic, and 
the the suede, the the Vox grill, the trim, the way the the the, the dials were laid out, yeah. all that it's just it's the weird fonts, the, fonts the weird so. fonts, <laughs> yeah. and 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 just the just the kind of way he did business and and the paperwork that had to be. I mean, right. the whole thing added to this great mystique because if it was always if it was about the money for him and it, he would have he would have mass produced those things in a heartbeat but he was so he was so uh, like hell bent on keeping the quality control and and this thing tight that he never monetized it to the level of of you know where it could have gone right and we'll we'll never have anyone like that again never again huh. never yeah. again he's one of a kind yeah. one of a kind well, Joe, thanks for having us, man. Thanks for uh, coming to my house. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we don't have any uh, today. The humidity is at a certain point. Like, like sometimes you get these high pitched squeals. Like if the humidity, if it's a little bit too humid, that's the that's the second hands on the clocks rubbing against the glass. Oh cool. my gosh, that's so awesome. we didn't have any high pitch. <laughs> well, again, us. it's good that my high end is gone. Right, yeah, yours mine is too. probably gone, yeah. so we wouldn't have been 4K. able to hear it. Mine's my my. I have huge dips in 4K both ears. Oh, you know why? Dips. Dips. Okay, not you're not rolled off at 4K because I'm not rolled off at 4K. They're dips, but they're like extreme dips. And you know what it is? It's, it's symbols. Mm. Yeah, it's not anything Dude. I did. Symbols. Symbols. <laughs> Fucking drummers. <laughs> well, like I said, go catch uh, Joe on tour. And by the way, congratulations on your new uh, adventure. Thank you, Premier Guitar. This yeah. is the flagship episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for. So if it gets canceled after one episode, <laughs> you know it's me. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thanks, right. everybody. Thanks.